0: So do you remember as kids hearing the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but remember how it goes? You know, what do you think about that? Let me give you a chance to think about it, and I'm going to give you a little agree or disagree. Hey, if you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. We're really glad that you're here. We're uh, beginning a series, kind of third week in, on a series in the book of James about faith that works, real faith. What does it look like? So uh, this past week, I sent a note from Mark. If you don't get notes for Mark, those come out once a month. It's because we don't know who you are. We don't have your email. so filling out a communication card will help you get connected to things like that. In my note, I mentioned all the good reports that were coming back from Kingdom Justice Summit. So it had over 700 people that participated in the three different events. That was up three 400 people from last year. We had over 60 partners. Well, we had three partners, and there were over 60 churches that participated in this. And Kingdom Justice Summit is all about our vision of being a Christ-centered church for all people, where the power of the gospel is not only transforming lives but renewing our city with the hope of Christ and the good news of Christ as we pursue justice and mercy and seek the welfare of all those who live in our city and the surrounding communities. So thanks for being a part of that, being part of a church that cares, and what a great weekend. And hats off to John and his team, our community development pastor, John Anderson, for doing just a great job. So this weekend, we also had a team that was doing demolition over at Northgate Mall, our new site for The Northside Madison campus, which is our third campus, about to be launched later this summer, and they were tearing it all apart and had filled up a big, huge dumpster and wished they had another one, so progress was being made there for the new building up in DeForest. The bids went out this past week, and so we're excited to see that come back, and you can pray for some really good competitive bids coming there. All right, so that little phrase, names will never Hurt me. How many of you agree names will never hurt me? Is that your experience? Is that what you think? How many of you disagree with that? Names will never hurt me. Some of you are still asleep going, oh, man, it's really early for hand raising. <laughs> I'm just so proud of you that you got here. It's great. So we're going to talk about the tongue. Because James is going to push this whole thing and idea of true faith. The true faith isn't just about our good works, which we were talking about last week in chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. He's saying faith has everything to do with our words, not just good works, but good words. So we're going to hear his warning about our words, the tongue. We're going to hear him describe the power of the tongue. It's destructive power, controlling power, the untamable nature. And he's going to talk about this problem that we have as people who love Jesus where sometimes we're worshiping God at the same mouth and at different times we'll be cursing other people and how that ought not to be. So we're going to talk about the tongue. So my parents grew up in Switzerland, and so every now and then we'd go back and visit relatives. And so I remember the first time as a kid going to um, Switzerland, and we were in my dad's little village at 900, and they had a beautiful butcher shop. And I, there, there were cow tongues in the, in the case. And I asked my dad, like, what is that? He says, well, that's a cow tongue. And I was, like, completely disgusted. I didn't know people ate that kind of thing. And, you know, I liked the tongue in the cow's mouth, but I didn't like it in the butcher's case. And uh, the problem got a lot worse when we were invited to relatives and she served tongue. I was like, oh my word, are you expecting me to eat it? And I I understand now that there's two ways that you could serve tongue, kind of skin on, skin off. And if you know what I mean, it was a texture thing for me. I could not get that thing down. I just was joking on it. I couldn't swallow it. So... There's gonna be some things that you might choke on as James has some really strong words to wake us up about the power of our words. Able to give life, but actually also the power to take life. Power of the tongue. Really, really important thing. So grab your Bible. We're in James chapter 3. And as you're turning, the chapter divides pretty nicely. First 12 chapters are going to be all about our good words. And then the second part in verses 13 through 18, all about God's wisdom. So the warning is in verses 1 through 2 about our words and our tongues. There's kind of a specific warning to teacher and then a general warning to all of us. The power of the tongue in verses 3 through 7. And then the problem and solution of what we do going on forward 8 through the end of the passage. So reading in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. You there? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Answer here is no. By the way, in Greek, this is the original language here, you can write a question and you can know from the way it's written in Greek what it's expecting, an affirmative or a negative. No, it can't come from both. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree, verse 12, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Again, no, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he begins with a warning, and the warning is to teachers, and you were feeling really good. Well, you better listen up, Mark, because that's you, buddy. You're a teacher. You're doing it right now. And so that's true. It was a warning to those who would aspire to be a teacher who are teachers. So that would happen like in a setting like this. It's it's formal. But it also happens in a church context in informal ways. And the general warning, which is there's a stricter judgment because if it's true in chapter one, verse twenty-two, that it's not a good enough real faith, isn't just showing up by hearing the word of God. We need to do the word of God because remember, what's the heart of faith. It's taking God at His word, obeying His commands, believing the promises. He so says it's not enough to hear it; you you got to do it. And then he says, look, and if you're a teacher. You're you're not just hearing it, you're saying it, and you've been thinking about what you're gonna say. And if you don't understand that there's a stricter judgment because we should know better. We should know better. But the implications and the general warning here that follows in verse 2 is, well, we all stumble in many ways. Look at it again. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So the stricter judgment is for sure people who teach publicly in the church, in formal ways. But let me suggest it's true in the informal ways that we teach. So you're teaching some kids in our church. You're teaching students. You're in a life group leading that or a women's Bible study leading that. You're a parent trying to raise your kids to know, love, and serve Christ. Well, these are things that we need to hear. There's warning. There's a stricter judgment mark because after you talk about the tongue today, you ought to know better than anybody else that's heard the sermon. Heed the warning, heed the warning. Every time we teach a preach, whether it's a group, children, adults, a crowd, or a small gathering, God expects us to live out what we've been saying, to live it out, to live it out. Now, there's many reasons, many ways, I guess is the better way to say it, that the tongue could cause us to stumble and that word stumble speaks of being ruined or defeated and it speaks of sin so look on the slide the different things that James will talk about in his letter irreverent words remember in 113 where we would accuse God of being the author of temptation of these evil things that we're tempted to think or do In 119, the angry words, the unbridled, careless words in 126. Two, one through three, the words of flattery and favoritism that extends, remember, to the rich person who comes in. The pious words that were uttered, right, these just... God-talking, hyped-up, trumped-up spiritual cliches that were offered to the person, right, who didn't have food and didn't have clothing. We bless and be warm, brother, sister. May God be with you. These pious words, the fighting words that we'll see next week in chapter 4, the slanderous words, the presumptuous words where we think we can just declare and decree what our lives are going to be like in days to come. The proud words in chapter 4, those arrogant words, and the complaining words of chapter 5. There's lots of ways that words can have us stumble. So James says, are you wanting to teach? You better examine your motives. Why do we want to teach? Is it to build up the body Or is it to build up my ego? Is it to gain a position of prominence or to serve? Is it to have my needs met or to meet the needs of others? If we're teaching, we must be serious about our call and the warnings given. Ours is a stricter judgment. And it's not just about the general teaching here, you need to do what you teach. It's to examine our motives. And let me suggest there's three things as we find ourselves regularly teaching God's word in a small setting or in a larger setting that are important things to always go back to. So I say it to myself, for example, Mark, as you're preaching James 3, are you being faithful to the text? Am I taking anything away from it? Am I adding anything to it? Mark, as you're teaching James 3, am I modeling Christ and how he taught? Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. So it's easy to be truthful in a way that is heaping on guilt and not moving us towards repentance and a trust in Christ who did it always right and died for all of our sin. It's easy for us to kind of get in a situation where we don't leave people with hope, but we leave people not confident in God's love and the power of the Spirit, but leave them going, you've got to try harder. Was it Avis? I forget. Was it Avis? That was its banner? We try harder. Was it Avis or was it Hertz? I forget. But it was one of those car companies. We try harder. If a teacher is ending the teaching time with this sense where I just got to be better, that's not gospel. That's not biblical teaching. It takes us to Christ, who is the one who got all, not only was he better, he was perfect. And our only hope is in him and his spirit. So am I faithful to the text? Am I modeling Christ's truth and grace? Am I leaving people with hope as I keep them focused on Christ? So the warnings. So then he starts to talk about the power of the tongue. And this is just to wake us up. We kind of have general understandings about it, but it's really important that we hear what he's saying. The tongue is super powerful. It's a little thing. It's like the bit in the horse's mouth. It's like the rudder on the big ship, but it is powerful. So you think about the horse's bit, and you think about this 100-pound woman could be steering, directing, guiding this horse that is 10 times or more her weight, or a child on the horse, just through the reins that are attached to that bit that goes through the horse's mouth. The tongue has the power to control things far greater than the tongue. Like that ship blowing in the winds connected to the tiller or the the wheel that the pilot's using to steer it. Huge vessel, strong gales, but that rudder sets the course, moves it in the direction the pilot wants it to go our words are powerful they're controlling they're not only controlling he says they're destructive they're like the spark that sets a whole forest on fire now we don't live really in the part of country i mean you can drive up north and you'll see the old fire towers but it's been a long time since we've had a decimating kind of fire like happens all the time out west right all the time. And if you've ever been out there after a fire, you're just amazed at how broad the devastation is and how many miles you can go and just see these charred poles and nothing on the ground but the charred limbs there, the remnants of the fire. And sometimes we hear about how it all started. James is saying, It's a spark. It's a spark. And it can do such great destructive harm and how many times is it that we've lost sight of the power of our words I mean we'll have a story right we'll hear these tragic stories of of what happens and someone was hearing their their classmates and they, they were teasing them they were mocking them they were bullying them and they end their life because of words. We've seen it happen in our families. Maybe you've seen it happen in your marriage where words are so destructive. I I remember a woman coming to me, and we were working on the marriage together, and she said to me about a time previous that I said something I wish I'd never said, and I had no idea of the impact that that short sentence would have in my husband's life. That was kind of a reflective moment. But there are oftentimes, we're in the heat of it, and, and some of us, let's just say it, some of us, we just talk out life. That's me. I know for those of you that think through life, we drive you crazy. And sometimes you drive us crazy because we're wondering, what are you thinking about? But for those of us that talk out loud, process out loud, we find ourselves just sometimes blurting out. Right, and, and we're going like this sometimes. We don't have to reflect. We're going, oh, that was a stupid thing to say. Wanting so desperately to grab those words, and yet they're out. And time and again, we've seen this destructive power. It's just a little thing, our words, but yet so powerful, so influential on something that's way bigger really setting the course of people's lives, our lives. Nelson Mandela knew something about that. He reflects on that in his words, Wall Street Journal, December 5th, 2013. It is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. The Bible says this, Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Say that with me. The tongue has the power of life and death. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Have we experienced the life-giving power of words? Have we experience the destructive power of words. James says, verse 6, the tongue is a world of evil. And what he's pointing to here in verses 6 and 7 is there is just an abundance of opportunities for us to get it wrong here because there's so many ways that we can sin with our speech. And though we might confess it and seek forgiveness, the consequences go on as our incendiary words continue to smolder in people's hearts and lives. And he says the destructiveness of our speech actually goes back to Satan and to hell. And it's one thing to be reminded of the damage of our tongues, but it's another thing to see the predicament that we're in. Like, we don't have the power in us to tame the tongue. He says, man, all kinds of animals, land animals, sea creatures have been tamed, but no man has ever been able to tame the tongue. So let's just say, here's the fact. The fact is no man can tame the tongue. No woman can tame the tongue. He's not saying the tongue is untameable. He didn't say, God can't do it either, and he's just really upset about that, wringing his hands and trying to figure out, what are we going to do about the tongue? No, God can. We can't. He's going to get to that when he starts talking about the springs and the sources of our words later on in verses 13 and following. So we can't tame the tongue. But the one who has given us new hearts, and Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus makes a really interesting connection, and he says our tongue actually is tied to our heart. So we talk about tongue-tied, can't get the words out. No, theologically, tongue-tied means this, my tongue is tied to my heart. And if there's ever going to be progress relative to having words that bless and do what God has intended, do what God's word does, God's powerful word gives life, speaks truth, wrapped in grace, extends mercy, is just, is pure, is holy, is always perfect, even when it's a hard word. That if we're ever going to catch up with God's life-giving words, it's only going to be because he's given us a new heart a new source with new desires his spirit in us new power and that's what paul expects that we have this new power when he says to us in ephesians 4:29 a great verse as we're struggling in this area and we all do do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths ephesians 4:29 but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So just look at this verse for a second. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about you. Our words are about other people. It's about their needs, not my needs. It's about their benefit, not what would benefit me. And oftentimes, we use words to just get it off my chest. It's about me. Oh, man, I wish I had preached this chapter last Sunday because I blew it last Sunday. So after church a week ago, Laurie and I said, hey, let's go up to Wausau and go to Granite Peak. We haven't been downhill skiing this year. Let's just go do the evening session, 4 to 8. We'll come back. We'll have a great afternoon, evening of skiing. They still got lots of snow up there. Great. So we snarf down lunch. We pack up the car. We got our ski equipment, and we're cruising up there. Great drive, great conversation. We get there just a little bit early. We grab a subway. We go to the slopes, Lori's going off to the lodge, and I notice that the ticket window doesn't have anybody in front of them. I said, let me just quick go grab the tickets. So I walk over, and I said, I'd like two tickets for tonight, two lift tickets. She says, great. She hands me a clipboard. I'm going, wow, a clipboard? Now, I'm not renting skis. I have never had to fill out anything to buy a lift ticket, and I've skied all my life. And I'm going, wow, what's this about? And I realized some lawyers, these lawyers, they just want to cover the liability thing. Remember, it used to be printed, like it said on the ticket. You know, if you're if you're gonna ski at our place and you know you do bodily harm to yourself, we're not responsible. This is a dangerous thing as you ski down mountains and there's trees, right? And people. So now, you know, something must have happened. Someone must have said, I never saw that, or something like that. So they go, now you sign it. So there is this thing, right? So I start filling it out and I sign. I, I, I print out, and then I sign my name for Mark and Lori Myfair, and I hand it back. She says, oh, you're not both here? I said, no, we're not both here. My wife's getting her stuff. Well, you got to both sign it. I said, no worries. I'll come back. So I go to the lodge. I get my boots on. We come back. I come back. you got to be kidding me. There's three long lines in front of the ticket booth, and it's like, it's, it's 4 o'clock. We could be legally skiing right now, and we're losing time. Not only are the lines long, they are slow. And so I got to figure it out. Honey, you stay in that line. I'm going to stay in this line. Because, you know, you, get, you know how it goes. We got to be in the fastest line, right? So we got, you know, we got good chances that two out of three, right, we might get it. And at one point, I moved to Lori, and, and now we're in the slowest line. And I'm stewing, because, you know, everybody's passing this stuff back, and it's taken like hours for a person to get their lift ticket, and I'm going, oh, come on, let's get this show going. So, you know, it's just building, it's just building. And so I get up to the women, w- window, and there's a sweet young woman behind the ticket counter, and so I just want to get off my chest, right? I just want to help Granite Peak, you know, just excel. I just want them to do better at selling tickets and satisfying customers. So I just kind of, I just, unlo- I, I, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't yell and scream. I didn't demeanor. But I just vented on my frustration because it was about me at that moment. And I didn't just get because it was driving me crazy. And it's your pastor we're talking about. So, um, I, and I. You know, I, I told her all these things, and then I invited her to dork. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> so I'm walking away from the window, and Lori, like, just cuts to the chase. She goes, you know, that that girl had nothing to do with that policy, Mark. And, and by the way, I, I don't think she would ever have the power to reverse that policy either. So what was that all about? He's like, all right, all right, all right. It's just easy to do. And the unwholesome words are words about me, they're words about us. We're not thinking about the benefit, we're not thinking about the need, we're not thinking about what would be helpful and actually build someone else up. I'll probably never meet her again. Never meet her again. And you know what? She was probably stressed that there's these long lines. She was probably stressed that it's taken forever to buy a ticket. And I missed it. I completely missed the opportunity to just have a positive exchange that would encourage her in her work that day. The tongue, powerful. The tongue, a great opportunity. The tongue, untamable. So we, we need God's help. And I think he's pointing to this in that next section about godly wisdom and how we need to have our hearts connected to the right source if our words are ever going to be words that bless. So what does he say? Who is wise and understanding among you? This is verse 13. Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, he's talking about hearts, Right? Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is Jesus' brother, James. And he's reminding us that our our problems with the tongue, with our words, that's a heart problem. And we need a heart fix. We need a heart fix. So what are we to do? Well, let me suggest a few steps. The first thing is we need to do better at examining our words. Man, if there is a way to play back, and I I would suggest a videotape, of all the ways that we communicated this past week, for us to just hear it and see the exchanges, it'd be really really helpful like did i say it that way we we need to examine our words these are powerful things these have the power to give life and they have the power to destroy life we we need to be more attentive we're barraged by words We have very little time to reflect on conversation because we're going, going, going. And if we're not going, something else is going on. We're hearing it. We're watching it all the time. We need to examine our words. And we need to confess where we've gotten it wrong. That's what Isaiah did. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. God have mercy, forgive me. We confess it. And let me suggest as we're examining and confessing that we're thinking broadly here about our words because you hear James 3 and you're just kind of thinking about speech, what, what I'm doing right now. Speech, audible speech. What about written words? What are the implications for social media right now from what James is saying? Have you ever seen destructive words? In in social media, these verbal grenades, where it does, we're not even we're not with anybody. We're just in front of our computer, and we just fire away. We fire away, as Christians who have Christ's Spirit in us, it ought to change the tenor of any communication, verbal, written. Let me suggest nonverbal. You know, it's you can you can communicate a lot. Right? Through your nonverbals. I'm thinking dads right now of the times that our kids want our attention and we're stuck in something that we're doing or watching or reading and we won't we won't connect with them. That's communicating a ton and we haven't said anything. We haven't written a word. And all the other non-verbals that come in. We need to examine our words. We need to confess. We need to examine how it's going at home. Isn't the craziest thing that we'll have the kindest, most gracious words with a complete stranger? But man, you you start talking about the exchanges we have with people that we know and love and have done life with for years. It's a whole different thing. How's it going in our families? How's it going in our marriages? How's it going with the brothers and sisters? How's it going at work? Are you part of just talking about people? Are you part of this unhealthy triangulating pattern of solving conflict, which is not solving it at all, is, is talking around people? Do you understand as you have a position of leadership, you're a manager, you lead an organization, that your whisper as a leader organizationally with the people is a lion's roar? Man, when I heard that the first time, I went, oh my goodness. Because I just want to think, I want to think of myself, well, I'm just, I'm just one of the guys. I'm just one of the team. And you're not. You're leader. And your words have disproportionate weight. That has huge implications for us as parents. Our words have disproportionate weight in our kids' lives. Oh, I can't tell you how many people have those those situations in their life where there were harsh words, where you never... I, I know people who said, I never heard one word of encouragement from my parents my whole life. Man, it's huge. So we're examining, we're confessing, we're making it right where we can. Well, let, me, let me add one more thing here because I think it's really important this is an observation, and this, this might just be, you know, the old guy talking here. So maybe it's the old guy talking. But let me give you an observation. Um, for those of you that are millennials, that there are words to all be specific. So the F-bomb right now is just like, that's just like everyday language. And I, and I get that it's not millennials, who are the only ones using it. But what I'm noticing is that it, this could be really easy is, you know what, everybody uses that. This is like commonplace. That's not our barometer for how we understand if this is an appropriate word or not. Just because everybody uses it, just because everybody says it, doesn't mean that ought to be part of my vocabulary as a Christ follower. So we make it right, right, for the people that we have wronged. This is what we never want to say is this. And I did it all the time and I probably still do. I'll say, "Lord, I didn't mean to say that." Well, that's a big fat lie. I actually meant to say it. And then I said it to hurt her to whatever. Don't say I didn't mean to say it. That's a bunch of rot. That's a bunch of rationalizing scaffolding to make you look better. No, you meant to say it. That's why you said it. And there's a double damn wrong thing that we did there. I meant to say it and I said it. Man, forgive me. I don't want to do that. I am sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me. Make it right. I think one of the things that we need to do here is after we examine it and confess it and make it right is we've got to forgive people who've used the power of their words to really bring great harm into our lives. Here's a really weird thing, that there's a sentence said to me a long time ago that that tape, I can hear it, I can hear it all the time in my life. And it was by someone that I esteemed, and they were very hurtful words to me. And I could let that define me. And so we forgive those people, and we refuse to allow the lie to define who we are. It's God's word that defines who we are. That's a really, I mean, that's like a whole other message. Really important. And finally, we got to be hooked up to the right source. So, final story. When I was in junior high, I was always mouthing off. I was mouthing off with my mother. I was mouthing off with any and every teacher. I was mouthing off with youth group leaders. And I was mouthing off with my peers in school, especially at gym. I was the consummate player coach who is the biggest obnoxious jerk in junior high and it was on steroids in gym class cuz i knew every rule i knew every best play i was the best player on the field for sure in anything we were playing and i was just obnoxious and i knew it and so i go to gym class and before as i'm lacing up my shoes this is what i remember god help me to shut up today God, just help me to shut up. I don't want to say anything all day. Just help me to shut up. And i get like five minutes and blah, I'd come out again. And i go back the next day, God, help me to shut up. And maybe I'd make it, I never made it through gym class. And I'm praying and I'm praying day after day. And finally, I didn't hear anything, but finally it was like God in his spirit, in my spirit, saying, I don't want you to shut up. I want you to use your words, not to tear people down, but to encourage them. I made you boisterous and talkative for a reason, to build people up, not to tear them down. And you guys, that was huge for me because I couldn't shut up. It's like, this isn't gonna happen ever. It was so freeing. So let me, let me say this. Paul says, uh, James says, when you're hooked up to the fresh Springs of God's grace, his truth, the spirit filling our lives out of the overflow, it's coming out. We will not have the opportunity to have destructive words, ugly words, because when you let me just give you the example, when you have loving words, you can't have hateful words. When you have encouraging words, you can't have critical words at the same time. When your words come out thoughtful, they can't be careless. When they're kind, they can't at the same time be mean-spirited, gentle. They can't be harsh. Sweet, they can't be bitter. Gracious, they can't be cynical. Words that defend somebody can't at the same time tear them down and slander them. Words that are full of truth can't be full of lies. Words that give life can't at the same time kill. Beautiful words can't be ugly. Inspirational words can't be words that discourage. Words that build up can't tear down. Words that are humble can't be proud. Words that are pure can't be full of innuendo. Words that are wise can't at the same time be full of folly. Words that are thankful can't be negative and critical. So the warning is not just for the preacher today, for all of us, because we traffic in words, lots of words, and they're powerful. And without God's help, we're going to get it wrong more than we get it right. And so praise God that Jesus came to die for all of our careless, deceitful, lying words, and he never missed the mark. Even in the crucible of the last days on the cross, when he was cursed, he returned it with blessing, extending mercy to Judas who came with the priest's guards to arrest him, to haul him off, to crucify him. He calls him friend. To those who would kill him on that Friday morning, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And he's the one who died for all of our ugly words. And he's the one who gives us new hearts and his spirit allows us to experience the fresh, refreshing, springs of life-giving, spirit-empowered words that can flow and grace other people. And so the psalmist has a prayer. Let's pray it together as we wrap it up. Psalm 1914. Say it with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. So, Father God, as we come to your word, it just reminds us of our constant need for you. And just the little things of life that you've just shown us aren't actually that little at all. They're big things. And so, Lord, show us, Show us where we need your grace. And Lord, help us to have words that heal as we go and maybe follow up with someone that we've wronged deeply with words, maybe even this week. Lord, give us an added measure of your spirit that there would be an ongoing fullness as we're in your word Lord, just words that grace people. And we pray these things, Father, that we would point people to you, to your beautiful words, Jesus Christ, the word of God, your beautiful life, Christ. Help us in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.